Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Coming up later in the show, up to one in five expecting and new mothers experience depression. But some experts say only three to five percent get proper treatment. I think a big component of our program is helping providers feel comfortable asking these tough questions. These issues we're not always screened for. We've seen them being screened for now more than they were before and need to be continued. But I think it's giving them those tools and feeling like they are able to have those conversations. We talk about a program out of Northwestern that's trying to change that. But first, this morning, the University of Chicago Medicine announced it's monitoring a suspected coronavirus case. If confirmed, it would be the fifth case in Illinois. This is a situation that has demonstrated an ability to change by the hour. The positive test results will still have to be confirmed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Lab. Governor J.B. Pritzker said in a press conference yesterday that his administration is continuing to monitor the situation. It's our top priority to ensure every level of government is working collaboratively to keep our residents safe. Chicago Tribune healthcare reporter Lisa Shanker joins me now for the latest on this story and how local health officials are responding. Lisa, welcome back. Thank you. So what's known so far about this possible fifth case of coronavirus in Illinois? The person is being treated at the University of Chicago Medical Center as of early Tuesday morning. It sounds like uh, we're not sure yet whether they suspect that person has coronavirus because of a positive test result or because of certain symptoms or exposures. What more do we know about the third and fourth cases we mentioned at the top? Um, The third and fourth cases were a husband and wife. Uh, It sounds like the husband is at the hospital in Arlington Heights, and the wife is quarantined at home um, because she wasn't so sick that she needed to be hospitalized. And uh, health officials said yesterday that they were both in good condition. Do officials know how they contracted the virus? They said they are still looking into it. Do we know who else may have been exposed to them? We're not sure at this point, but the state said yesterday that they are monitoring 286 people, meaning that they are watching those people daily to see if they develop symptoms. And I would assume that some of that number would include these people that uh, were exposed to this latest couple who got the illness. Also in Arlington Heights, a family of four are staying home due to the possibility that their babysitter was in contact with someone who treated a patient with coronavirus. Now, in that case, the family and babysitter have shown no symptoms and say they are all acting out of an abundance of caution. But I'm wondering about the protocol for preventing healthcare workers who are on the front lines of the coronavirus from getting sick and exposing others. What is the state saying about that? I think that some of the healthcare workers who came into contact with some of these patients are also being, I don't know if quarantined is the right word, but they're being separated, being they're up by themselves at home. And I think otherwise, everybody's very dependent on the uh, protective equipment at this point, the masks and the gowns. And the state uh, health officials said yesterday that Illinois hospitals have enough of those that we're not facing a shortage, at least in healthcare, of that protective equipment. Other than the four confirmed cases, the IDPH say they're monitoring others for symptoms. Do we know currently how many people are being monitored for the virus? Yesterday, they said 286 people are being monitored, although that number is constantly changing as they find more people. And also as people 
hit that two-week threshold where officials feel like, okay, we've watched them, and if they were going to develop, they would have developed it by now so they can go back to their lives. The IDPH director, Ngoze Zeke, said in a press conference yesterday that the state is still in, quote, containment mode, and it's also beginning a what she called a sentinel surveillance program. We are using every tool and every resource at our disposal to contain the spread of this virus. We are still in containment mode. Explain what that is. Sure. So what they're doing now is they're expanding testing uh, so that if a patient goes to a hospital and tests negative for the flu or tests negative for some other respiratory illness, then that patient can choose to be tested for coronavirus. They're doing this at select hospitals. They haven't uh, released the full list of hospitals yet where this is happening. What other steps are local officials taking to keep the virus contained? I think that there's been a lot of public education about, hey, whatever you're doing to keep yourself safe from the flu, amp it up. (laughs) You know, if you were washing your hands before, just double down on that. Uh, You know, try to avoid contact with people. A lot of companies are saying if you've traveled to any of the four countries where we've seen a lot of this recently, stay home for two weeks. Don't come in. Work from home. Aside from that, any other measures health officials are recommending individuals take? The state has set up a hotline that people can call if they have any questions about coronavirus or if they want to report a suspected case. Um, And in terms of making sure people can get access to testing if they think there might be a case, they also have um, the state, the governor contacted insurance companies, he said yesterday, to tell them, uh, hey, we're on alert, making sure we don't want to see any price gouging, we don't want to see any unfair practices, and we want to make sure that anyone who needs these tests is getting access to them and it's affordable. So if someone wants to be proactive and get tested for coronavirus, will insurance cover it? I think that's what the state wants to hear, for sure. Um, And uh, I think if people have questions about wanting to be tested, they should call this hotline or contact their doctor. That's Lisa Shanker. She's healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Lisa, thanks. Thank you. And just a reminder, according to health officials, your chances of catching the virus continues to remain low. At this point, public health officials are not encouraging people in our area to change their daily routines. For more information on the coronavirus, you can use the state's COVID-19 hotline that Lisa mentioned. That number is one 800 That's 1-800-889-3931. Or visit the Illinois Department of Public Health's website. We'll also tweet out that information at WBEZ Reset. Up to one in five expecting and new mothers experience depression. But a program out of Northwestern Medicine says out of those women, only 3 to 5 percent get proper treatment. The COMPAS program screens patients regularly. Then they're connected to a team that creates an individualized care plan. Dr. Emily Miller is the COMPAS creator, and Lauren Ratliff is a COMPAS care coordinator and licensed social worker. Hello to you both. Hello. So the COMPAS program is, is three years old. Just explain what sparked the creation, Dr. Miller. Certainly, we know perinatal mental health affects so many women, as you mentioned, and we also know that most women that are affected aren't successfully identified. If they're identified, they're not successfully treated. And even if we start treatment, we know they're not adequately treated. And a lot of initiatives have come into play saying, hey, let's let's do this better and trying to mandate doing it better. But from my perspective as an obstetrician, 
I think this whole system needs an overhaul, and we need a fresh image of how we deliver perinatal mental health care, because trying to shove that square peg into a round hole just wasn't working. And just ex- explain what perinatal mental health care is exactly. Yeah, so perinatal refers to kind of the time period during pregnancy or postpartum. And I think that's a really important question, because we used to, and we've recognized for a long time, that postpartum depression was a thing, was Mm -hmm. a diagnosis. And it's only been in more recent years that we've recognized that depression can happen actually during pregnancy. Um, And so perinatal mental health is kind of the encompassing term that recognizes that the occurrence of mental health conditions can occur at both time points. You've treated over 1,600 women so far. Can you go a little bit more in depth about what the program actually includes, Lauren? Sure. So we, um, we are referred patients through Um, a couple of our OB groups. So they screen for mental health during pregnancy and postpartum. Um, At that point, if they do flag for having some of these issues like depression, anxiety, bipolar, whatever else it might be, they are referred to me. I'm the care coordinator. So basically, I reach out. I do an intake with them. Um, We kind of talk about their symptoms, what they've been experiencing. A lot of times, it's the first time they've ever talked about some of the things they're feeling. Um, And then we decide on a care plan together. So that's either therapy, and we can either meet them inside the OB office, or we can refer out if they need a different type of therapist, or it's psychiatry, so we can set them up with one of our psychiatrists to discuss medication management. Or they sometimes just like to be followed with mood check-ins, and that's through phone, through email. Um, It's just a way to stay connected. Dr. Miller, can you talk a little bit more about the types of mental health issues we see emerging during pregnancy, after pregnancy, most commonly? Right. So I think depression is probably the most studied. Um, And so we have a lot of data around the prevalence of uh, depression, postpartum depression, as well as some data around antenatal depression. I think we're learning more and more that anxiety is incredibly prevalent and under-recognized. And so there's been a big push to start to screen for anxiety disorders. We're also seeing a fair bit of post-traumatic stress symptoms, whether that's related to something that happened totally on the outside or perhaps something that occurred during childbirth in a prior pregnancy. And then being pregnant again certainly can be a trigger. But that's something that I think needs more attention and we're recognizing. And then I think we hadn't in the past, you know, when we screened for depression, we were seeing, seeing women that would screen positive, and now we're learning that some of those women with depressive symptoms actually have bipolar disorder, and that's a totally different approach to treatment. And so it's really important for obstetric clinicians to be aware that that's on the differential diagnosis so we can make sure we're doing the right thing. When we're talking about depression and anxiety or bipolar, on one side you have the mother and you have to care for her. But if she is pregnant and experiencing these symptoms, what role does just the pregnancy play in what you're able to do in terms of treatment? Yeah, another really great question. And I think this is where um, Compass engenders a culture of support to make sure obstetricians and obstetric clinicians have the right information at their fingertips to be able to have these conversations. I think what's really important from my mind as a maternal fetal medicine uh, physician is that the way we frame it is the options in front of us when someone has depression are either to leave the depression not treated. That clearly has risks to the mom, but that also has risks to the baby. It has risks like preterm birth or maybe preeclampsia or gestational diabetes, diabetes of pregnancy. Those are risks associated with untreated depression. 
And if we treat depression, sure, there might be risks associated with some of the medications, but we have to balance those risks with what the risks of not treating at all are. And so I think that's the framework with which we start to have these conversations. Lauren, when you're working with mothers who are experiencing these symptoms, how much do you have to break through um, what people have come to expect as being normal, just a normal part of pregnancy? It's just my hormones. Mm -hmm. I've got the baby blues. How much do you have to really educate the mom about what she's experiencing? Yeah, that's a a conversation I have quite frequently. Um, And I think there's a lot of expectations about what pregnancy should look like and what new motherhood should look like. And most of the time, reality isn't the same as the expectation. So it is kind of working through, okay, what's normal? What's a normal normal hormonal change that's happening here? Or what is is kind of outside of that? And how much is this affecting your day-to-day life and other relationships? And is there an aspect of this that's also about educating the people around the mother, mm-hmm. the spouse, the partner, um, the friends, to, to say, hey, what she's experiencing is not is not a normal part of pregnancy or childbirth. Absolutely. Um, another conversation we have quite frequently is how to involve support and how to educate support because there is obviously, as we know, a lot of stigma around perinatal mental health issues. So it's how can we provide the resources for those people? Do we need to bring them into a session to talk to them about what this looks like and how we can improve this? Or what does it look like to support the mom? Dr. Miller, where is the research right now? Because you mentioned the connection between um, the mental health of the mother, her physical health, and the health of the child she's carrying. How far are we in that research right now, understanding that? There's been a lot of advances um, over the past couple decades and have really been informed by some visionaries in the field that have recognized this long before it was even in the kind of a clinical diagnosis. And so we we certainly have epidemiologic associations between untreated depression and some adverse pregnancy outcomes. From my lens, I think what we really need are some mechanisms. You know, is this psychosocial? Is this behavioral? Or is this actually also underlying biological processes at play. And so some of the, I think, really exciting research on hormonal changes and how they contribute, immunologic changes and how they contribute, I think, are um, on the forefront of how we're going to advance this field. When we look at barriers to mental health care for expectant mothers, mothers who have recently given birth, what are some of those those barriers? Sure. I think this is a very important topic to talk about because the access to mental health care just is not where it should be, especially with our lower income um, new moms or pregnant moms. A lot of times we don't have therapy resources for people who have Medicaid or don't have insurance. So I think Compass is great in that aspect that it can serve these women too. Other barriers are transportation, childcare issues, family issues that are happening in the home. So it is it can be a challenge trying to work through those barriers and kind of creatively think about how we can give access to these patients. And how do you navigate working with patients who may be hesitant to work with a mental health therapist or who just feel overwhelmed? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I don't have time (laughs) to go talk to somebody. How do you work through that with them? A lot of it is validating patients and how they're feeling and letting them know that there is help out there. They don't have to suffer um, by themselves with these issues. And then also talking about 
you know, how much their mental health affects the family, affects their job, affects kind of the bigger scope of their life. Um, and if we can tackle some of these issues, ultimately, it just makes everything work a little bit better. Dr. Miller, do you also work with women who have pregnancies that they lose and, and find themselves, you know, on the other side of, of that process and dealing with some mental health issues? Absolutely. I think, you know, we often conceptualize pregnancy and early motherhood as a time of great joy. But I think the the converse is also true for so many women, whether it's miscarriage, whether it's stillbirth, or whether it's a pregnancy that's affected by a congenital anomaly. We know that these women are, um, and these families are oftentimes suffering. And so I think it's, I think where it's challenging is disentangling what's normal grief and what's a normal grief response to what becomes depression. And so kind of providing the support around those pregnancies and that postpartum course. I would like to hear from both of you on the training side of this. Do you feel OBGYNs, midwives, people who work in this space with mothers, that they're adequately prepared and educated to address mental health concerns? I think we've come a long way. I think we have a lot of of space and room to grow in this. I think a big component of our program is helping providers feel comfortable asking these tough questions. These issues were not always screened for. We've seen them being screened for now more than they were before and need to be continued. But I think it's giving them those tools and feeling like they are able to have those conversations. Dr. Miller, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the same thing. I, and, and this is where I think a creative approach like Compass or like the collaborative care model really opens the door to improving what OBs want to do, right? We want to screen. We want to treat. We want to create health for our patients and their families. But in a 15-minute visit, it can be a little bit complicated to monitor weight gain and blood pressure and how the baby's growing and education around delivery and screen for mental health and discuss it. And so I think having... I think the solution is not just saying OBs should do it, but rather creating systems that support a culture of mental health awareness and a culture where mental health conversations can happen. Well, your program is getting national attention from other health institutions looking at how to better you know, take care of their patients in this space. How common is access to this kind of care for expectant mothers or new mothers? Not particularly common yet, but we're working on it. So a big goal of the program is dissemination and starting to work with other uh, health centers, community health centers, universities to start kind of replicating what we've shown to be a successful model here. Um, and I think we've we've learned along the way implementation strategies to be able to do just that. Lauren, what resources would you direct people to, expecting mothers, family members who may be concerned about someone in their lives or who are just trying to be prepared um, mm-hmm. for for potential mental health issues long long term? I think the basis of it is education. So just trying to understand what's actually going on, because we do get a lot of those phone calls from family members who, who are concerned or are worried, who don't know the next steps. We often refer them back to their OB to provide those resources. But you can also, um, there's a great website, psidirectory.com, that you can plug in your insurance, your location, and therapists will pop up that are specialized in this. And OBs are also able to provide referrals to psychiatrists, too, if that's what's needed. And Dr. Miller, why, for a a mother who's listening right now, what would you say to her about the importance of prioritizing this part of her health? 
I can't emphasize enough how important it is. And I guess I would I would urge women not to compartmentalize. Like this is a part of your health the same way that, you know, doing prenatal yoga or or doing, you know, eating the right foods or monitoring your weight gain or monitoring your blood pressure. It is in that same bucket of health uh, that is so important for the long-term health of you and the health of your baby. That's Dr. Emily Miller, creator of the Compass Program out of Northwestern Medicine and assistant professor at Northwestern University. Also with us, Lauren Ratliff, licensed social worker and Compass Care Coordinator. We will tweet out links to that information Lauren shared with us, as well as a link to the Compass Program. Thank you to you both. Thank Thank you. And that's today's Reset. Make Reset a part of your daily routine. A new show pops into your feed each weekday at 4, and we have a Sunday podcast as well. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon.